For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we've got a lot to get to on tonight's episode, including the best of the rest. Who were the best players to just miss our top 50 prospects list, which we released last week? We'll reveal them tonight. And we'll have a little bit of spring training coverage as Bob is joining us from down in Sarasota. And before I forget to mention this, Bob, um, our live viewers can see you here. Is that a San Diego Padres curtain in the background? (laughs) Yeah, as you can see, I'm staying at a very nice uh, hotel with very current and up-to-date fashion styles. <laughs> yeah, this is straight out of the 70s. Maybe it is a, it's an honor if Manny Machado signed that extension. That's what it is. Yes, and Manny Machado is not coming back to Baltimore. And we can uh, end any speculation that may have started about that. Um, on last week's show, we got into our top 50 prospect list. And... The way we do our voting, we each make individual lists, and then that is aggregated into our top 50. And every year there are a handful of players who got top 50 votes from one or sometimes two of us and yet missed the overall top 50. So we're going to get a chance to recognize those players tonight. We're going to start with the player who ranks 51st currently, and that is Anthony Servideo. Servideo has been in our list since he was originally drafted by the Orioles back in 2020, out of Ole Miss, first as a top 30 prospect and then as a top 50 prospect for most of last year. The issue for Servideo, though, has been that he cannot stay on the field. He played in just about a month's worth of games with Delmarva in 2021 before an injury cost him a significant portion of that season, and then he missed an extended amount of time last year um, as a result of injuries. So, we have yet to see much of Servideo, so we don't know if the breakout that he showed as a hitter and his final year at Ole Miss has sustained itself in the pro ball or not. And while the reports about his defense at shortstop have been good when he is on the field, we just have not seen much of him. So, Nick, I'll start with you here. Really, it just comes down to the fact that Servideo has not been able to stay healthy and now entering his third, what should be his third full season of professional baseball uh, has, I believe about less than half a season's worth of games under his belt. So where do you think things stand with him right now? 
I wish I knew kind of more where he was at, you know, physically, mentally, just this whole situation. But just imagine if like he was able to stay on the field these last two years, though. And if we would have continued to see those improvements with the bat that he made, I know there were a lot of comments coming out of the draft that he was more about the, the lighter hitting shortstop at Ole Miss. And then that COVID shortened year, the bat really started to come around. And a lot of people thought it was legit turnaround. And imagine if like that kept growing and he's, we knew he had the major league ready glove and you add him into this mix of deep middle infield prospects we have in this system. It'd be just unbelievable to see. But at the same time, this is why you stockpile the system with all these guys, because you're going to have cases like Sir Video. you know, when he was with Delmarva, he walked 28 times in 20 games that year in 2020 with Delmarva, which was absurd. And the glove, I just remember one play in particular I think he was playing second base. They had him shifted over. It's like the left side of the second base bag. Ball gets hit in that kind of Bermuda Triangle area, you know, behind second base, short right field. And he's not in the frame. And all of a sudden you see this body come flying into the frame and it's Servideo making the grab. Like that play stuck with me. This the range he showed. But yeah, the bat just, just hasn't been there because he hasn't been on the field. I mean, you know, he did have between that defense and his own base percentage was like pushing 500, I think in 2021 when you look at that that's why i was so optimistic going into last year about sir video but he had multiple injuries you know some other setbacks as well and it just what 20 something games i think he played last year all with delmarva so he still isn't even at high a i mean like maybe we see him have a good spring and he starts the year in high a and starts hitting his way back but he hasn't played regularly now since 2019 at Ole miss so i think he's all we can do at this point is just hope he stays healthy on is on the field next year. Yeah, I didn't have him on my personal top 50. He's just outside of it for me. But, yeah, I feel like this is a make-or-break year. I mean, it's unfortunate the injuries have kind of piled up on him. But I feel like even the guys that were international signings and lower-level guys the last couple of years are now gained on him or even passed him by. So, you know, if Daryl Hernandez couldn't even have much room in this system and got traded – last month and uh can't imagine Servideo has uh much room himself unless he can really just stay healthy this year get back on track and show what he did in that brief time uh early on in Delmarva in 2021 yeah Nick touched on it um 28 walks in 20 games with Delmarva that year he had a walk rate of just a little bit over 30 percent um so the patience was something that had been noted as a positive for him coming out of Ole Miss. And it kind of gave us hope. And I think a lot of other people hope that the progress he had made in that COVID sort in 2020 season was going to carry over to pro ball. But unfortunately he just has not had an extended run on the field in now almost three years. We'll move on now to number 52. And depending on which prospect list you looked at, have looked at nationally this off season, you either maybe have not heard of this guy or you think that we have way underrated him, and that is right-handed pitcher Juan Nunez. Nunez was part of the return for Jorge Lopez in the trade with the Twins last year, and he currently ranks 20th on Fangraph's list, which came out just a few weeks before ours. Eric Longenhagen and Fangraph's had noted Nunez's fastball and slider combination, plus a changeup that needs development. Fangraph's actually has Nunez projected as a starter. Uh, he has yet to pitch in full season ball. He pitched at the FCL last year, first for the Twins, and then with the Orioles. And when I say he hasn't pitched in full season ball yet, he hasn't started a season there because he did get to Delmarva at the end of the year. And while he struggled with walks, it was just a small sample size of 14 and two-thirds innings pitched. So Nunez really going to get that introduction to low A at the beginning of this season. And, Bob, when uh, we look back in maybe even just a couple of months, are we going to think that we way underrated Nunez uh, or that maybe Fangraphs is a little bit uh, too bullish out of the gate? It's very possible we could be underrating him. I mean, the numbers are great from both his time with the Twins and with the Orioles. I feel like the strikeouts are up there. The looks we saw from Eric Garfield down in the FCL look good. You know, short little sample size at Delmarva to end the year. But it's a guy that if he, you know, turns into a starting pitcher this year and he can really sky, skyrocket up this list if he can, you know, dominate Delmarva, maybe he gets up to high A Aberdeen because he is a little bit older as a converted catcher, converted position player. So, you know, clearly the arm talent is there. It's just a matter of 
you know, if he's a late converter to a pitcher, then like much like Seth Johnson, who's all the way up near our top 10. I mean, this is a guy that could, you know, learn quickly and, and just uh, hone that talent in and become more of a pitcher than a thrower. I think, you know, we could very well be saying this is the steal of this trade, but I feel like each one of these players that we got back from Jorge Lopez could end up being the steal of the trade and Juan Nunez, just another one of them. It's really crazy to see that really diverse thoughts and I think projections on all these guys acquiring that Jorge Lopez deal. And I'm just fascinated to see how these guys develop because the Orioles are clearly high on each of these arms that they targeted. They target them for specific reasons, yet no one in the industry really gave these guys much thought. Like Povich is unranked on every list outside the top 100, except for obviously ESPN. We know he's 54 and people think he still sucks because of his random double A ERA or whatever reason. Like, and people think Jorge Lopez was going to carry this team to a world series or something, even though he's never been good his entire career. But my point being like Povich's ceiling is enormously high. We know that we talk more about him later on Rojas. We talked about last week. He's got his own impressive ceiling. And then you've got Nunez. I do think 20 might be a little too high, even though I know fan graphs, you know, the way they do their list is the future value that ceiling, right? That's why you see, you know, Jackson holiday ahead of someone like Grayson Rodriguez. And I think that's part of why you see Colton cows are a little bit lower on that list, but still at 20 in this system does seem kind of extremely bullish on Nunez. I mean, he's good. If he's out there throwing 95, 96 miles an hour with this you know, 60 grade slider, according to the fan graphs report, it, sure. Let's see what you can do. I mean, we did get to see him at least a little bit in Delmarva and he's, he's shorter. I think he's only what five, ten, five, eleven. He's sub six feet, but and he's he's thick. He's thick in the right places. So I mean, he's got that power, and we'll see what happens as he moves up. But yeah, I, I want to see what all four of these guys do that they got back for Lopez because it's the the opinions vary so highly on them. So we'll see what the Orioles are able to do with all these guys. As I was sorting it out, it wasn't like I had a quota on the number of pitchers from the Jorge Lopez deal that I was going to include on my list. But as I was sorting out Rojas and Nunez, I went with Rojas on my list because Rojas is younger, left-handed. You've had the report of the fastball, velo uptick. Um, But Nunez, I feel like in his own right, could really break out this year. Because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of underlying traits there that are good. And if the Orioles can work with him to develop a changeup and his command is good over an extended run at Delmarva, I could see him moving up some lists. And, you know, 20 probably is aggressive right now. Like, I, I wouldn't put him objectively on a list ahead of Justin Armbruster or someone in that tier. But when you consider how Fangraphs does their list, it does make a little more sense. We'll go now to another pitcher who is very intriguing. That is Alfred Vega. Vega was acquired from the Yankees in the minor league phase of this year's Rule 5 draft. He has only limited experience at a full season level, and he pitched primarily in the FCL last year. However, after the Orioles picked him up, Baseball America was one of the outlets who noted that this could be a good pickup for the Orioles. Um, and we heard afterwards from Mike Snyder, I think it was quoted at Mass and a few other places, that the Orioles had had their eyes on Vega for a while and were happy to get him in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. I know that Nick has very, very strong, positive feelings about Vega, so I'll let him start this one out. Yeah, I don't know why. He just really sticks out to me. I, I just think first-round pick, minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, like you mentioned, snagged out of the Yankees system, he's listed at 6'1", 169, which I, I don't think uh, he's, he's pretty interactive with us on social media. And I, I don't think he's 169 pounds anymore at this point, but like normally you look at someone who's like 22 years old and has no experience past the FCL and you probably want to like write him off, but he had a lot of injuries that have kind of slowed him down. And you look at some of the numbers, he struck out 22 and walked just four in last year, 15 FCL innings. Just two runs allowed. He if he's throwing 97 miles an hour with four different pitches, and Baseball America's report here, they also did like 10 names, like the 10. I forget how they worded it to be exact. I don't know if it was high ceiling names to watch from the minor league phase of the Rule Five Draft, but they highlighted 10 guys, and Vega was the first one. And they they said he tops out 97, a sweepy slider, two playing curveball, and mid 80s changeup. So I mean, if you've got that, yeah. Forget the age, I think, at this point. Let him get to Delmarva. Hopefully he's in, I don't know, 
probably a starter. I imagine he's in Delmar's rotation, or you know, they'll probably do to get a lot of those arms in a lot of you know three, four innings. You go three, four innings, and you go three, four innings. Nobody's working six, seven innings in Delmarva, but give him three, four innings, let him start games and see what he can do. But if you got four pitches and that kind of stuff, like if he hits early uh, in Delmarva, he could be in Aberdeen in, in no time and right back on track, I think. Just a really, really interesting name, I think, to watch this season. Yeah, interesting name and a great name. I mean, Alfred Vega, come on, let's go. Um, yeah, very similar to Nunez in the fact that he's a little bit older, but good numbers and good stuff. So, you know, he can move fast if they're able to just unlock whatever, you know, they see that's in there. Clearly, he's got the perfect mix for what this Orioles player development team looks uh, looks for from a pitcher. High velocity fastball. I'm sure it's happy just because they took him. Um, sweep and slider. The changeup is potentially there. Maybe they can improve both of those, one of those. And if he's got a curveball, I'm not sure how good it is, but I just feel like he's going to be super fun to watch. Just watching clips of him just seems like a really entertaining player, pitcher. And, you know, that's the thing with these international players now coming up through the system in the low minors. It's like at least one or some of these guys are going to hit and they're going to hit hard and they're going to just kind of come out of nowhere and hopefully be like the Houston Astros where it's just our entire rotation and bullpen are filled with these guys. But uh, Vega could be one. So can Nunez, and it's exciting that uh, we're finally to this point in the international program. It only took four or five years, and he didn't even come from our own program. <laughs> go to another pitcher, and this is a name that should be pretty familiar to Orioles uh, fans as he just pitched a full season at High A Aberdeen. That is Peter Van Loon. What stood out about Van Loon this past season is that on a very good Ironbirds team, he was probably one of their most dependable arms, throwing 88 and two-thirds innings and striking out 97 batters along the way. And while win-loss record is not something we look at, or I think most prospects evaluators look at with pitchers, it is worth noting Van Loon won a nice 11-4 and along the way with the Ironbirds. We have liked Van Loon for a while, in particular his secondaries. Um, so he's been on our radar, and he did get top 50 consideration this time around, falling just short of the list. So, Bob, I think you've had the opportunity to see Van Loon throw in person, correct? And kind of yeah, give us yeah. your impressions of him. Yeah, he's impressive. You know, obviously a big guy, big tall guy. He's a pitcher in the Orioles, of course he is. Uh, throws hard and to go along with those secondaries that we like. And I actually had him, uh, I can't remember if I updated my personal list, but I think I'm the one that kind of snuck him in at the very bottom of my top 50. I'm looking at my spreadsheet now, and I think I updated it uh, slightly in the time since we submitted our, our list. But yeah, I like him. I think he could easily be, this year's, and I know he came out of the same draft as Armbruster, right? But I feel like he could be this year's Armbruster in the sense that he really kind of gets more, a little more attention and does a little, oh, geez, what is this? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Nick swoons for Peter Van Loon. Well, now I'm swooning for him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just a big guy with some good pitches. And it seems like, you know, he had some ups and downs throughout the season. But if he can get some consistency and just develop a little bit more, I feel like he's at least another bullpen option. But I think he's got a chance to start. He's durable. It seems like he pitched all year long. And, yeah, I'm curious to see if he, I'm assuming he'll start with double-A Bowie. And it'll be fun to watch him work with Forrest Herman, continue to work with Forrest Herman. Yeah, I, I think I was a lot more excited going into the last season. I mean, he just seems like a guy who, I mean, he's tall. He's 6'5 with four pitches. And like you mentioned, the velo is good, but it's like, I don't really know if he has just like that nasty wipeout pitch that he can go to. Like if you're, and I know he's been working as a starter, but if you envision him more as a reliever, what's going to be that pitch that kind of separates him? I just feel like he's he's kind of like some of the hitters we talk about at the back end of our top 50 list where nothing really stands out except his size, obviously, but nothing really stands out with his stuff, but everything's just good. Like there's really no big holes in his game. Everything is just solid across the board. And he just kind of quietly gets the job done. You mentioned the wins. Yeah. I think he had like, I think it was like eight. No, at one point uh, in the season. So if you know, it's, we'll see, I want to see what he does in double a, to be honest and see, I imagine they keep him in the rotation, but I want to see what he can do against more advanced hitters. And, you know, this could be the year. He's the type of guy that I want to see succeed. A small school guy from the West Coast. The Orioles can go out and snag this guy. I think it was what, UC Irvine, one of the one of the Cali schools that they snagged him out of. You get a small school West Coast guy 
as a, as an East Coast team, bring him into the org and build him up into something special. That's a huge win. But I think I'll have a stronger opinion on him once I see him a little bit more in in Bowie next year. Yeah, very Drew Rom of him to start undefeated for for a while. And I feel like you know Ryan Watson, we kind of weren't thinking much of uh, going into twenty twenty two, and now look at him. So I could see Van Loon have a, a Ryan Watson type of year too. The last player to receive a vote that we'll note tonight, although we have a list of guys that we're going to talk about as well outside of that mix, and that is Creed Willems, who last year went to Delmarva uh, about a month or so into the season after only playing 10 games at the FCL the year before after being drafted by the Orioles out of high school in the 2021 draft. Uh, it was a struggle at times for Willems offensively, although he picked things up late in the season as he batted 281 with an 865 OPS in the month of August. He's probably going to go back to Delmarva this year where the Sorebirds will also have Samuel Basayo. So you're going to be looking at two left-handed hitting young catchers who project to hit for power. And now it's going to be a matter of figuring out how you get them at bats and innings behind the plate, which they both need. But Things that we heard about Wilms, his leadership, uh, his ability to work with the pitching staff last year were all very positive. However, the struggles up and down uh, at the plate leave us with some question marks. So, Nick, I'll start with you here. We we talked about Wilms a lot last season, and it seemed like we were kind of waiting for him to settle in and break out the plate, and we got it a little bit at the end. But based on what we saw last year, do you think that there are are some concerns about him offensively, or is this a product of him just being young for low A and not really having a lot of experience before he got there? I think that and a little bit more. It did seem like that Creed Williams was the guy once he got to Delmarva and started playing games and more people started watching him. I feel like he was every single day we were getting questions about Creed Williams. Um <laughs> But he's he's a character, uh, so it's uh, he's a fun guy to follow. But yeah, I've been up and down on Willems since the draft. I think I initially really enjoyed the pick because we heard the reports of him, the Orioles bringing him in for a workout at Camden Yards, and he was sending balls onto Utah Street with a wooden bat as this high school kid. Uh, and then I think we saw some videos where he pitched in high school and could run it up into like the mid nineties or something ridiculous. Like, all right, if you can't stick behind the plate you got an arm like that, you know, you enter the Orioles development program and maybe they turn you into an outfielder. I mean, there were options there, but he just didn't hit in the FCL that year. And it wasn't just the fact that he didn't hit because he was an 18 year old kid making his pro debut. So, and he's a catcher. So I'm not expecting him to hit a lot, but there was just like, they Orioles just gave him a million dollars, maybe a little bit more. I don't remember his exact signing bonus. I know it was at least a million. And there was just no talk, no discussion, it was just he was another guy down there in the FCL. And so that kind of turned me off a little bit. But when he got to Delmarva, you saw the arm instantly throwing guys out left and right. And you heard reports. We've had pitchers on the show who were like, yeah, Creed's the guy. I, I love working with Creed behind the plate. He got high praise from Adley Rutschman uh, even. I think when Adley was getting called up or sometime during spring training. I don't remember when that was. But a lot of people in this organization really love Creed. I just think he was 18, 19. He's a catcher, so catcher, that offense is going to be delayed. That's going to come much later in your career. Everybody's not Adley Rutschman and can hit bombs out of the gate. And he's working with that staff in Delmarva. There's a language barrier. We know the Delmarva rotation, the pitching staff, is there's constant churning, guys getting cut, guys getting sit back down to the FCO. I just think he had a lot to learn. And we saw by the end of the season, that bet really did come around. The power started to shine through. So going into this year, I'm a lot more confident in Creed. And, and I'm really excited to see him and Basayo together behind the plate in Delmarva. Yeah, I just think, you know, they clearly gave him a million dollars, a good bonus for a reason. There's clearly upside there. I just think he's more of a project than maybe we first imagined when the pick was taken. Like you said, he's a catcher, and it seems like he could potentially stick behind the plate. So I think he just needs to, everyone knows, needs to work on the conditioning a little bit, you know, work on the body. Um, Keith Law what a low blow that was but um it's funny that you could see samuel Basayo just kind of like tortoise in the hair lap him here and move up to aberdeen before him even though creed got a full season last year but hey Basayo could just be a freak of nature and that's possible but i feel like a guy like creed is who is hurt by 
the elimination of short season ball, like the in between the FCL and low A, we saw a lot of the pitchers for uh, the pitch for Delmarva last year. I feel like we're in that realm. And then not as actually pretty much a lot of the Delmarva guys were in that realm last year as well, but Creed, especially just because he's so young. And like we've mentioned, clearly they skipped him right past the FCL for a reason. They thought he was too good for that, but clearly just low A was still a little overwhelming for him, at least early on. So yeah, hopefully, you know, a year under his belt or at least three quarters of a season under his belt, he can uh, come in a little more confident and get out of the gate strong and hopefully have a better season this year. Even if he plays in Delmarva all year long with the eye of going into Aberdeen next year in 2024, I feel like that would be a success. Yeah, Bob, I think you hit the nail on the head that talking about the elimination of short season A ball, which was something we focused on a lot last year as we saw some of the young hitters in Delmarva and some of the young pitchers at Delmarva struggle, you know, regardless of his signing bonus, a guy like Willems, because he's a high school catcher in the old system of minor league baseball, not going back that far, would have probably been in short season A ball last year. And if he had gone there and hit 250 with an OPS of 760, everybody would be calling it a success. Um, And then, you know, to go to low A, though, after not having a lot of time in the FCL the year before, it's going to be a bit of a jump. I had Willems initially 50th on my list. He would now be 49th because that was the version of the list that was put together when Daryl Hernandez was still in the system. I held on to him in my personal top 50 because of the reports about his defense. And I am hopeful that the bat is going to come around a little bit in the second go around with Delmarva. There were signs of it at the end of the year, and I'm just holding out hope that that carries over to the start of this season. Yeah, I pulled up his splits again. In August, he hit 281, eight extra base hits, and an 864 OPS. So he finished the year extremely high. So I think that's, for me, that was the big positive sign. So going into this year, I'm intrigued. I'm still not going to say like I'm super high on Creed Williams, but I am definitely intrigued. I want to see what he can do. Let's see if he gets to high A. But yeah, like you guys mentioned, if he spins the vast majority or all of the year in Delmarva, I don't think that's a bad thing as long as he's playing well and, and hitting the ball well. Yeah, I completely agree. Before we move on, just to go back on something I said earlier, it was Kent Qualls who had talked up Vega. Qualls is the director of minor league operations for the Orioles. An article um, that was published on Mass and back in December by Rock Cabado. Qualls had some insight about Alfred Vega. So if you want to learn a little bit more, that's a place to start. But we're certainly happy to see Vega and these other prospects take the field in the Orioles system in 2023. We're going to go now and kind of go deeper into this discussion and talk about some guys who intrigue us. And what we're doing is we're picking one hitter and one pitcher, although Nick um, has sort of added on to that. <laughs> I'm going to start with Bob, though, because he has a hitter that definitely has some positive attributes and then a pitcher who is new to the system. Well, first of all, I love the cheating. And the more names we can get on here, the better. I have no issue with that at all. Uh, I wish I would have thought of that first. But uh, uh, my hitter is going to be Colin Burns, just yet another infield prospect in this system. Shortstop, really, really solid defense from a a good college program. He hit the ball actually with authority more than I thought he would have last year. Just seeing him in person, he definitely had some good swings on the ball. I feel like they're, you know, he played all year in Aberdeen, which we know kind of saps a lot of offense away from hitters. And he also missed some time towards the end of the year. Didn't he miss like the last month of the season or something like that with the hamstring, some, some lower body injury. But if he's going to start the year, I would imagine the short, uh, starting shortstop for Double A Bowie. I just I wonder if there's a little bit more there than maybe we were able to see just because of the confluence of situations being in Aberdeen and you know a bunch of higher name value prospects around him that he didn't really get a chance to shine. Let's see what he can do offensively and defensively now that he's in the upper minors and again, kind of like a bunch of guys. He's kind of like, this is kind of a make or break a year, even though I feel like, I mean, he had a solid year and last year was his first full season. I mean, there's just a lot of infield prospects coming up. So you got to, every year is going to be make it or break it for these these types of guys. And uh, my pitcher is going to be Kyle Verbitsky, who was the return in the Daryl Hernandez trade along with Cole Irvin. Pretty crazy that you get pretty much your number one starter to start the season and a pitching prospect to go along 
with him to uh, for Daryl Hernandez, like this what seventh best shortstop, sixth seventh best shortstop in the system. Um, Verbitsky actually kind of reminds me of Peter Van Loon. I mean, I haven't seen him pitch a ton, but just a really big bodied guy with you know he's got velocity. He he's the one that uh, didn't have many walks, right? He was like the best mm -hmm. control in that system. So I just want to see, and yeah, Vivek says insane inverted vertical break, six foot eight. You know, that hoppy fastball, that's what the Orioles are looking for. I'm just really curious to see what they can do with this guy, get him in the system and work their magic. But yeah, I could easily see him being a guy that is like in our top 30, uh, 40, 45 range uh, by midseason. I thought it was pretty interesting too. I can't remember where. I read this the other day, uh, an interview he did recently. Um, I'm trying to remember the author and where it was, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was an interview with Kyle Verbitsky, and he kind of talked about how he's pitched a lot. I think it's like travel ball or like pre-high school time. Uh, he pitched a lot in Aberdeen, so he's familiar with that ballpark. Uh, and he's from somewhere in Pennsylvania, so you know, closer to being home. But I think if he starts back in high A, like that could be a cool little transition for him. You're back at a comfortable ballpark. You mentioned the height. Uh, it's It'd be interesting to see what he does. I get not like a, a physical comp, but I get because they're not alike at all. But I get very much like Easton Lucas, Tyler Birch vibes here because they're both these like no-name pitchers, really. They're not on any prospect list. They're high A, double A arms. You know, in Birch's case, he's a reliever, but... Birch was traded for what Jonathan VR, uh, Easton Lucas. Like, did I get that right? Yeah. Freddie Galvis. Freddie Galvis. Yeah. Birch was <laughs> Galvis. Easton Lucas was Jonathan Villar. Um, you know, traded for the, these guys, and you're like, all right, who are they? They're nobodies, they're flyers, whatever. And now like Easton Lucas is we've we've hyped him up a lot. We've talked about him a lot recently. Birch, I still think the stuff plays better than what the results have been for him, but I think Verbitsky is in that mold too, where give him a year or two in the system. And I think we're going to be talking about him a lot more uh, in the near future. And uh, yeah, I still can't believe that like you, you trade a guy who is not good as much as we love Hernandez. We had him on the show. He's one of my favorite prospects in the system, but he was not going to have an opportunity in Baltimore. And so to trade him for a semi proven major league starter and this guy, this flyer extra flyer to have in your system continues to blow my mind every time I, I think about this. Yeah, completely agree. I'm mm -hmm. really interested to see what Rubisky does um, just because he brings that elite command to the table. And then with Burns, I think he's going to be helped by her nays being traded because, you know, Bob, when you put out your projected rosters back in December, you had her nays in Bowie with Burns. And it kind of seemed like it was going to be a situation like we have seen play out in the last few years across the Orioles system where, you've got to find at bats for all these middle infielders. We know that injuries sometimes have a way of sorting that out, but I think now Burns can immediately benefit with more time and more time at shortstop from having her nays dealt. Yeah, it really kind of just unlocked like that whole situation. Just it even like helped me put, I can't remember if it was, uh, yeah, it helped me to put Jackson Holiday up to Aberdeen since now we think, he'll start there and that makes a lot more sense now with Adam Crampton and so Aberdeen. Come on. He's starting on the major league. Roster, right? <laughs> yeah. Where'd you go there watching him? <laughs> yeah. I mean, God, it, he looks the part. I mean, he, he's, he's got that presence. He got, gives like Taron Baver type of bats, but yeah, let's start him at Aberdeen for now. You can move him up. But, but uh, Adam Crampton and God, I can never remember the bonus baby from like the 17th round last year. Carter Young. Carter Young, yeah. Okay. It allows them to get more playing time in Delmarva as well. So I feel like they Intermiss was meant to be for at least one of the guys in that range to get moved and it ended up being Hernandez. And yeah, I think Colin Burns could benefit a lot from that. Go over to Nick now because he has a couple of arms from Delmarva last year that we were really intrigued by. And then a guy who might grade out as having the best speed in the farm system. Yeah, I want two pitchers here. I'm lumping them together. I hate to do this, but I, I'm lumping them together because they're young, they're exciting, and I'm super intrigued. But Raul Rangel and Moises Chasse, I think both these guys last year were in our top 50. I forgot to go back and look. I know Rangel was. Chasse, I can't remember when he entered our top 50, but they've both been top 50 guys for us. But just injuries kind of wiped out the year for Rangel completely. He's just 20, and he doesn't turn 21 until after the season, so he is still extremely young. 
Chasse is still only 19 and won't turn 20 until June. And he did get a good chunk of innings with Delmarva, but he also had some injuries. Um, you know, both were signed also both were signed in 2019 back when it was the J two period. So 2020 was supposed to be their first full seasons or their first just introduction into pro ball. They should have pitched in the DSL that year. Obviously they didn't get to. So these guys have been delayed and injuries have delayed them further. So I just think if, if one of these guys pops in 2023, like you're adding another nice high ceiling arm into the mix here. Like Ren is listed at six, four, he is rail thin, but there's like a lot of physical projection there. He can throw it in the mid nineties. He's got three pitches, huge changeup. Chasse, I think has pretty much the same pitch mix, but he's like three, four inches shorter than Ren is. But I mean, he logged almost 60 innings with Delmarva as a 19 year old, only allowed one home run, nine and a half Ks per nine. The walks were a major, major issue for him. It was like six or seven walks per nine innings, which is obviously not very good. But, you know, he had some injuries as well. He had that freak injury where I thought he completely shattered his ankle on the mound. Just it was like a weird hole or something in the dirt. A completely freak injury. But he came back a couple weeks later, I think. But, you know, if he starts in high A, which I don't think he will, but uh, he did log almost 60 innings in, in Delmarva last year. And if he has a good, healthy spring, maybe maybe gets that bump up to high, but I can see both these guys in Delmarva's rotation. I'm excited to watch both of them for sure. If Chasse starts back in Delmarva, he shouldn't be there for long. And the hitter, I'm going to Luis Valdez. I just think he doesn't have any power. He can't field very well. They moved him around infield, outfield. It's He's very, very raw, but my man sold 71 bases last season. And actually, by the end of the summer, was hitting... In Delmarva, he was hitting really well, like 315, 320 batting average, with almost a, a on-base percentage of just south of like 400 across June and July before he got promoted to Aberdeen. I just think if that that speed is not going anywhere, and you can't teach that kind of speed that he has, if he can just hit that little bit and continue to get on base a little bit as he moves up the system, you got a, like a, a Terrence Gore type player here. Can't hit but he's got two world series rings under his belt. Uh, like I could see that with Luis Valdez, the guy who you bring in for speed at the end of a game and a guy you keep around your organization. So we'll see if he can hit the ball though, as, as he continues to move up. Could you imagine? And I could realistically see this being the case this fall Orioles clinch a playoff spot, September 22nd or whatever. All of a sudden Luis Valdez is on that 40 man roster. He's on the playoff roster because he's just, if you got, a runner on first, a slow runner on second in a meaningful late game situation, he's going in there. Jorge Mateo or not, this guy is fast, lightning fast. So, and yeah, if he can just use his size to an advantage, maybe learn to, you know, get them swing decisions a little bit better, get the plate discipline, maybe can walk in an above average rate and just hit enough to get on base enough times to use that speed. Could be potentially something there down the line. Just a guy that just sits at AAA waiting for the playoffs, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, Valdez is interesting to me because I one of my favorite stats from last year was actually his monthly splits. And as Nick was talking, I was reminded of it here. He started out with a 271, 673 OPS through his first 16 games in April. Then he had a horrible May and then bounced back in June by hitting 333 with a 762 OPS, which for a guy who doesn't hit for power is pretty good. And then 297 with a 749 OPS in July. He dipped back down in August, but the bat did come along a little bit. And what I'm interested to see is stolen bases probably are going to go back up in the majors this year. And does that increase the probability that a guy like Valdez, who in you know recent years probably would have topped out a double A or triple A as a role player that you kept around for his speed and his versatility, but isn't a big leaguer, now all of a sudden has some value because you are going to be stealing more bases. So that ability to pull him off the bench late in the game to steal a base, you know, score from first on a ball hit in the gap is going to matter a lot more. It's interesting too, is that Valdez was rule five eligible this past uh, December. So the Orioles may have to make that 40 man roster decision with him if he breaks out this year. And then Tasse and Rangel, I'm really anxious to see both of them back at Delmarva this year, especially when I see Rangel throw more, because that was a guy that two guys are coming into last year 
we were kind of anointing as the new Gene Pintos. Um, and there's no, there's no new Gene Pinto. There's only one Gene Pinto. Okay. Okay. Yep. You're right. <laughs> the, the closest thing to Gene Pinto that is not Gene Pinto is what Thank we were you. anointing Thank them. <laughs> yeah, and like we said, one, you know, at least one of these, some of these international guys that have huge stuff for their super young ages are gonna break out in a big way, and it's just a matter of who and. It's exciting to watch because both of these guys could easily be it. They're super young, super talented. It's just about reining it in, staying healthy, getting that control. Yeah. And like I mentioned, they were 2020 being supposed to be their first year. Even like that first, I can remember timelines correctly here. Like the first signing period, the Orioles had a lot of these early international signings, like they had the first year interrupted or they got a little bit of a taste of pro ball and then they had 2020 shut down. So their development was delayed there or they had to wait a whole nother year before they debuted professionally. I just think it, it's delayed a lot of this stuff, but you're start you're going to start to see a lot of these guys like, man, we signed him back in 2019 and he's just now coming up, but yeah, he's still like 19 years old. Uh, so the Orioles have gotten him back on track. Uh, you're going to see definitely at least, one hitter, one pitcher really break out. And you're going to see like a midseason baseball America update where they're like a top 30 guy, or they're getting huge accolades from baseball America as a, a potential top 30 guy. I don't know who, but I have a strong feeling like, like Davy Cruz last year was that guy uh, who's this year's Davy Cruz going to be. It's, it could be one of those guys. Gene Pinto. <laughs> I'll go over to my group now and i went with daniel lloyd a reliever who pits at delmarva and aberdeen last year lloyd the typical power reliever fastball but he has a very good breaking ball and what's interesting is that as lloyd delmarva to aberdeen last year with the jump up to a new level his walk per nine innings went down from three and a half at delmarva to two and a half with the Ironbirds, and he was able to maintain pretty good strikeout numbers so lloyd a guy who was drafted in 2021 if you're looking for a reliever that could hit the upper levels in the minor leagues this year and be successful, um, definitely keep an eye on Lloyd. I think we're going to have a few pitchers that fit that mold this year in the Orioles system, but Lloyd is one I have my eye on. And then another one is a hitter that I feel like sort of was lost in a shuffle towards the end of last year, even though we were really interested in following him early on in Delmarva, and that was Trendon Craig. Craig didn't join the Shorebirds until May, and there were you know pluses and minuses to Craig's run at Delmarva, but what jumps out is that he had a walk rate just under 14%, a WRC plus of 114 in 251 plate appearances with the Shorebirds before being promoted to Aberdeen. He struggled a little bit more in Aberdeen, and then with the influx of outfielders from the draft with Dylan Beavers and Judd Fabian entering the system, it got a little bit more challenging at the end for Craig to have at bats. But if he could get regular playing time, I'm curious to see what he's going to do because this is a guy who came out of a junior college program, Lewisburg in North Carolina, drafted in the 20th round of the 2021 draft. Internally, I think the Orioles are high on him. And where you want to see him develop as a hitter is that for a guy his size, he can probably hit for more power than he has so far. And the strikeouts right now, for me, even with that high walk rate, are too high for a guy that's not hitting for a lot of power. So if the power can start to pick up a little bit, he becomes a guy that's a lot more interesting for me, especially because he's just 22 now, doesn't have a ton of experience. So what he's probably a little more raw than what his age suggests. And if he can get consistent at bats at Aberdeen this year, I'm going to be curious to see how he develops. Yeah, I for whatever reason, like Daniel Lloyd, I feel like should be maybe this is a sign that I pay way too close attention to this system. Uh, but I like Daniel Lloyd, I feel like should be like 24, 25 years old. I don't know why. Every time I think of him or I, I watch him <laughs> pitch, I think he's way older than he actually is. He's only 21 years old and won't turn 22 until closer to the end of the season. I just looked that up. So, yeah, he is definitely a bullpen arm to watch. I know the organization has kind of started pushing his name out a little bit. So we'll see what he does next year. And Craig, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there with how raw he is. 20th round Juco pick and just didn't get regular playing time last year. Uh, you mentioned the those draft guys coming in and those draft guys followed him to Aberdeen even. So he's up in Aberdeen like, all right, I'm going to get more playing time. Nope, here comes Judd Fabian and, and everybody else behind him. So 
yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving him another year, see what he can do. Um, you know, face more advanced pitching that he's ever faced in his career and see if he can rise to that challenge. You know, again, Juco kids, so extremely raw, just had a little bit longer to catch up to the rest of his peers, I think. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Craig is is raw, but I feel like there's pretty good upside there. And, you know, he's going to start in Aberdeen most likely with those guys again, Fabian, Beavers, even Reed Trimble. So he might not be able to really come into his own until those guys inevitably get promoted around May or June and he starts to get a little more everyday playing time. But I would not be surprised if he ends 2023 with a taste of double A towards the end of the season. And it's like, okay, here's a guy that 2024 could be his breakout. So I feel like this is the pre-breakout season for Trent and Craig. I like that pick. And yeah, Daniel Lloyd, that is crazy. He's only 21. Um, it might be a name thing. That's like an old person named Daniel Lloyd. But uh yeah, he's really good, and I feel like we started to hear Matt Blood say his name a little more, and I guess it's about that time we should try to – us or somebody should try to get Matt Blood on the phone and get this year's version of who's going to break out this spring. Uh, you know, it can be anyone. I saw Blaine Knight and and uh, what's his left-handed – Kevin Smith <laughs> are still in, the, still in the organization at early minor league camp. Maybe they can get them back on track. Let's see. Knight, possibly Kevin Smith. Uh, hmm. Let's talk about hot prospects. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good segue. Bob has been down in Sarasota, and I have to say that I don't know that I've ever hated Bob more than yesterday afternoon. It's about 10 minutes before first pitch. I'm here in Baltimore switching laundry. It's gray outside. It's like snowflakes dancing around, and Bob's down to Ed Smith Stadium, which is truly one of the best ballparks in Florida and sunny weather, about to watch a game that ultimately was filled with a lot of highlights from prospects. And in fact, that's been the theme of the first two games of the spring. And Bob has had the fortune to see them both, the one in Sarasota on Saturday against the Twins, and then Sunday in Lakeland against the Tigers. So, Bob, uh, Heston Kerstad, uh, two home runs on Saturday. Um, that home run that he hit opposite field, was that as impressive as it looked on video? Well, I don't think it happened because I actually missed both of those. I, I couldn't get video. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, he almost had three of them. Both of his home runs were opposite field. The first one clanged off the foul pole. The second one was a lot more impressive because it was more left center field, and he got all of that one. And then he just missed, just foul on the left left uh, left field line, another home run before he turned on a, a fastball and singled to the right, right side. Thank you for banning the shift, Mr. Manfred. Um, yeah, and then he had another hit today. So Heston Kerstad is like, what we dro- I dropped out of your top 10 time to fix that. So yeah, if he can start like this in double a, cause no matter how good he does, we know he's going to start in double a, um, then he might not be there very long because he looks like he's picking up right where he left off in the Arizona fall league. And by the way, don't be too jealous. I got burnt, you know, it was a little sunny. You don't, you don't want that. I mean, I've got, we were talking like, as we were talking before we came on the air. I've got a three-year-old who is in full-blown three-year-old mode, so um, I would take a sunburn out of Florida every day of the week. I you had some interesting comments about Cesar Prieto, and we saw he's appeared in both games. He's three for three with a double. Uh, I've pulled up. I didn't realize until like two minutes before we came on, but there was <laughs> Statcast data, and the hardest hit balls of the day against the Tigers were Lewin Diaz that home run, uh, 110 miles an hour. French Cordero, 107.2 miles an hour. And then Cesar Prieto, 107.1 miles an hour. Um, I said a couple weeks ago that I'm the low guy on the show uh, on Cesar Prieto, and I think he's going to uh, make me eat my words. Yeah, let's just say he looks like a shorter left-handed version of Yusniel Diaz now. Um, Dude has balked up big time. Uh, Last year, I thought, you know, when I was watching him in Aberdeen that first month of the season, I thought he looked a little skinny. Didn't really have the arm for shortstop, was bouncing throws, maybe intentionally, maybe not. But my God, he has balked up in a big way and is hitting the ball hard, obviously, 107 miles per hour. It's pretty darn good. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what he does after an offseason of hopefully resting, but it, it certainly does not look like that's what he was doing. Um, whether he was playing baseball a lot or not, he was definitely in the weight room. And, you know, if he's not going to get that walk rate up, which we know he's a free swinger, he's got that hit tool then you might as well have the power that comes with it. As long as he can go without uh, getting suspended, let's do it. Yeah, looking at left-handed hitters, Taron Vavra has gotten off to an excellent start this spring. What are you seeing from him? Uh, who knew he could play third base like that? 
Um, I don't know if he's got the arm to play there regularly. Probably not. I'd say it's probably a little below average, especially for that position. But, God, he's making dive-in plays to his right, to his left, getting up, throw him out. Tough plays here. Um, but that's great. He was practicing at first base. If he can play third base now, we, we know he can play second. And center field in a pinch, but I'm sure he can play left. Just you want to be that guy that, hey, you need uh, you need to fill in at this position. I'm your guy. And he gets, just has great at-bats. We already knew that about him. Great plate discipline, really good contact skills, bat to ball skills. And now all of a sudden he's launching ground rule doubles and homers over the the batter's eye in center field. I mean, who is this guy? He's really fighting for a job right now. And it's a great start and I hope he can keep it up because it's a fun player to watch when he's on the field. Yeah, hopefully. Um just give him some playing time already. Yeah. I think this as far as the other hitters go too, like Norby had a pair of hits today. Joey Ortiz had a really nice hit. I think what he almost hit a home run too in that first game of the season. Um, you saw a lot of these guys, but like Jackson Holiday, uh, I don't think I don't know if you guys did any of you guys see him in person last year after the draft. What is he like uh, up close and personal? Is is all the hype for real with Jackson Holiday? It just may be like you know it was shocking when he got the invitation to MLB spring training. I think even. The Orioles have talked about, like, this is not normal. Like, even Brandon Hyde is, like, talking him up. Prieto balked up. Looks like uh, old Jackson was in the weight room as well because his bicep was bulging out of his jersey at shortstop. And just like Taron Vavra, he looks like just a super professional hitter up there. He is not swinging at bad pitches, and he's 19 years old going up against at least, you know, he's getting into these games late. So at least, like, double-A, triple-A quality pitchers. And he just looks the part. I mean, you know, obviously he's going to go back down to A ball no matter what, just like Heston's going to double A no matter what. A lot of these things are locked in, but he's just setting himself up to have an amazing season. And if he can gain some confidence by hitting a, a hustle double in the right center field in his first ever spring training at bat, second pitch he sees, working a walk today, and then almost working another one, got the count to 2 2, then took a really tough pitch that was just outside before swinging and missing for strike three. I mean, he's, he's fast too. He's really fast on the bases. Just seems really smart, which is not surprising. I mean, he's Matt Holiday's son. I'm sure this is all he's done his whole life, but it's just super impressive to see. And yeah, if he can take that confidence down with him to Delmarva, Aberdeen, Bowie, whatever, wherever he gets this year, I can't imagine that things are going to be any harder than they are right now. And he's already looking like he belongs. I did have one more question about hitters real quick. Um, Curtis Terry is starting over Ryan Mountcastle opening day, right? Is that? Uh, (laughs) I mean, that home run was impressive that he hit. But, again, it was late in the game against – I mean, this is a a veteran who's – There's your Jake Fox. Yes, Jake Fox. Between him and Leon Diaz, I mean, they're they're demolishing the pitching that they're facing, which, hey, you got to do what you got to do, but – yeah, I don't know. Not too worried about Curtis Terry uh, seeing him at the major league level this year. But, man, it's just Joey Ortiz, like you mentioned, man. He just missed. You know how he can drive that ball to the opposite field. I've seen him do it at Bowie. He, he drew the ball right to the wall in right field. And then next time up, just a beautiful swing on a line drive off the center field wall for a triple. He's faster than he looks, too, I think. Um, yeah, man, Joey Ortiz is fun. Uh, I really hope he either starts the year – in the majors, that seems like a lofty goal, but you know, early on in the season, we got to get him up to Baltimore. I think fans are going to love that kid. It looks like Colton Cowser is stringing together good at bat after good at bat right now. Um, something that stood out to me from Saturday's game, I think it was in his first plate appearance. He was down to 2 and then worked his way back to draw a walk, which is just not something you see very often, especially from a hitter that young. So, Bob, how's Cowser looking at the plate right now? You mean Walcott? Uh, that's the only way. <laughs> he is taking over the mantle of Walcott. Uh, and honestly, man, that's the most exciting thing about these young prospects coming up is that these are not your typical Orioles free swinging, go for the home run. I mean, these guys are working p- pitches. They're working at bats, taking walks. It's so fun to watch. I mean, we're looking like the the Yankees and Red Sox of the 90s and 2000s out here. Um, yeah, he's just got an incredible eye. And, yeah, and the one thing I did notice him playing center field, I think he can stick out there. He might not have the natural athleticism of a Mullins or, you know, he might not even be a plus center fielder, but I think he can be at least average. He gets amazing reads, amazing jumps on 
on these fly balls. There's like line drives. And I'm watching him and he just like immediately breaks back. He didn't hesitate at all. It just seems like he's really good at getting these reads. So whether it's left field, right field, center field, I think he's going to be well, well suited for all three positions. So not worried about that. Sorry, uh, Eric Longenhagen and Keith Law, but yeah, I'm not worried about Kowser at all. He looks like he's in midseason form as far as the, the batting approach goes. And you got to watch Cade Povich. I think that was uh, made the trip worthwhile in of itself. Uh, the uh, <laughs> We'll see. Everybody's new favorite darling. Uh, thanks for hopping on board. Uh, welcome. Refreshments are out back. Um, but, uh, yeah, two scoreless innings, one hit, no walks, no walks, three swinging strikeouts. Uh, how did he look in person? Just really confident, really good. Um, was sitting 93, 94 with the fastball, so he's not blowing you away. But like he said when we interviewed him last week, he's got a lot of pitches and he was mixing them really well. Like just you could tell the hitters didn't really know what was coming. Three strikeouts, all were swinging. He also first battery faced. I think he gave up his only hit. It was a little, little bit hit hard. But next, next batter double play. Cesar Prieto to Jackson Holiday to. Our man Curtis Terry, and then struck out three batters after that in his two innings. So, yeah, I mean, Cade Povich season is here. The Jorge Lopez trade was not a bad trade. Sorry, Connor Newcomb. It's okay. You can change your mind. Yeah, I'm looking at the baseball savant data right now for Povich's outing um, on Sunday, and it records him as throwing a four seam fastball, a sinker, a slider, a changeup, and a curveball. So, really working in the repertoire against the Tigers hitters. And I almost feel like he threw a cutter in there too, but I could be wrong. I mean, yeah, he's he's just mixing those pitches in. And I, I think he's just, you know, I think he's going to end up throwing maybe a tick fast. Maybe he's going to sit 94, 95 instead of 93, 94 once he's really settled in. And, man, it's just maybe ESPN's Kylie McDaniel is uh, right on the money. And we're all going to be chasing that top 50 type prospect here soon. Yeah, I was trying to – what did he – touch i lost it didn't he touch like 97 where's the play so i must have missed that yeah top yeah. fastball for uh povich 96 94.6 94 okay i don't know what i was looking at then <laughs> never mind that's still pretty good though that's still pretty good yeah. round up 95 yeah yeah for a lefty take it yeah looks I like, like uh, go ahead nick I just say I, I like that. I'm really glad that he came out in that first spring outing and it played as well as he did. That's that's impressive. That's huge, especially after all this offseason hype. Let's hope that continues. We'll see. I, I'm interested to see how long they keep him in big league camp, but you know, maybe with some of these WBC guys leaving what in the next couple of days, uh, maybe he sticks around a little bit longer. But that was I think that's huge for for Kate Povich that outing. It's day two of spring training, but still for a young guy like that, that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and outside of him on the pitching side, it was really just a, a lot of the NRI reliever types that uh, have great stuff, but they just need to locate. And Juanis and Charles was in particular a wild inning to watch as he struck out two, walked two, hit a batter, gave up a home run. Just really did it all, man. He's fun. <laughs> Anything else stand out to you performance-wise? Anything uh, fun happened while you were down there? Well, you are down there still, but in the games you went to. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed every second of it. Um, just really glad the the team won both games and scored 10 runs both times. It, it was a lot of fun. And all I know is Mike Elias has this shirt in his possession. I, I saw him at the game, gave him and Kobe Perez a free shirt. I don't know why I became free shirt guy all of a sudden this weekend, but uh, it was kind of fun. Kobe Mayo got one. Joey Ortiz got one. Uh, didn't have any big enough for Noah Denoy or Ryan Watson, who I saw down there. But uh, just a great time. Can't wait to come back. And and I, I wish Masson was showing more games because I'm ready for baseball. Like this got me totally hyped for the season and just glad it's here, man. Yeah, absolutely. And we will have coverage throughout the spring for you as things happen on the field at Sarasota and we get more news out of the backfield and anything else that pops up along the way here in the coming weeks between now and opening day. You don't want to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the birds and also be sure to join our Patreon community if you're not yet. For as little as three hours a month, you'll have access to a WhatsApp group. And in our higher tiers, you can join for daily content from us, which we will have throughout the regular season. We had our top 50 prospects list unveiled day by day to patrons over January and February. And we're just getting started with the daily content that will be posted there. And be sure to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com 
Orioles coverage is just ramping up there on the site. There's also some college sports as well. And of course, NFL coverage throughout the year. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join in discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL. We will be back at our normal time and night next Monday night at 8 p.m. In the meantime, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.